1: new series called outlasters now 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 outlasters is not a real word in case you did not know that actually this particular series is not even originally mine I'll be completely honest and transparent but you know sometimes people say things that you want to say but they say it a little bit better so you like well why change it let me ask permission to share it and, and and just make it my own And so certainly we have full permission to use this series, which was originally written by Pastor Craig Rochelle of Life Church out of Oklahoma. Now, um, I love the, the whole idea behind it. The idea behind it is that we are, as this generation, supposed to build something that will outlast us. And even outlast the current generation. It's supposed to last generationally. And I firmly believe that everything that we're building here in, in, in Mosaic Church is just one big old gigantic seed that God will water and fertilize throughout generations that will certainly outlast you and I. And that is the premise of outlasters. And I think everybody in this room ought to be an outlaster. And, and, and the, the whole premise of this particular series is starting at home. See, I can't ask y'all to help build something here if you're not even building anything in the walls that you call your house. We have to start first at home, building biblical principles, building children that, that are filled with compassion, generosity, and righteousness, we have to start at home, and then it can expand out into the community and even into uh, uh, our churches here. But it has to start at home. And so this is what we're, we're, we're talking about. And last week, we kind of did a bit of an introduction. Our, our, our scripture for this entire series, which will happen for the next few weeks, is, is Psalms 112, verses 1 through 4, and then I'm going to finish it off with verse 6. If you have your Bible, you can meet me there. If not, we'll have it on the screen or it should be even in your notes. Follow me. It says, uh, how joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commands. Watch this. Their children will be successful everywhere. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. Follow that. How joyful are those who fear the Lord. Y'all are the ones that fear the Lord. And because you fear the Lord, watch this, and you delight in obeying his commands, watch this. Your children, I'm making it personal, your children will be successful everywhere. And their entire generation of godly people will be blessed. I don't even have to preach. I can stop right there. That was an amen moment if you missed it. They themselves will be wealthy. That's not money. Don't, don't, don't trick it. It's not money. Don't turn it into what? It's not a prosperity gospel here. We're talking. They're talking about a different kind of well, heavenly wealth. Watch this. And their good deeds will last for a couple of weeks. Did I get it wrong? And their good deeds will last for a couple of years till they're twenty one forever forever their good deeds will last forever in other words when you are dead and gone what they do will last forever when they are dead and gone the good deeds that they did in their generation will outlast them this is good already watch this let me go to the next one i'm getting too excited too quick here because this is really really good Light shines in the darkness for the godly. Watch this. They are generous, compassionate, and righteous. Verse 6. Those who are righteous will be long remembered. And what we need to be doing, my brothers and sisters, is building up a generation of people, godly people, that are generous say generous compassionate and righteous we need to be training right now our children to be generous compassionate and righteous I was I was I was watching a video the other day of a young lady I came across she was in a, she was a fifth grader and her pastor said to her during a service he says listen how I challenge you all. There was a youth pastor. He says, I challenge every youth in this room for this upcoming birthday to give it away. I, I challenge every youth in this group to give their birthday away this year. And here's how you can do it. Give your birthday away to a cause. So instead of, watch this, asking for an Xbox, Instead of asking for designer clothes, instead of asking for a vacation, instead of asking for stuff, invite your friends to come to a party with money in hand so that you can take all the money they bring and give it to somebody less fortunate. This was, the, re- this was the response. This little fifth grader, she made these really nice, really nice invitations she created even an Evite card, sent it out to her friends. Come to this party. There's going to be cake, ice cream, chicken wings, pizza, you name it. It's, it's going to be off the chain. The turnip, is not, it never happened the way it's going to happen at my party. But here's, here's, here's what I want y'all to do. Don't stop by Walgreens and get no gift cards because I know that's what y'all are good for. Okay? Uh, don't, don't, don't get me no clothes. Don't get me anything. Bring money. And here's why I want you to bring money. Whatever you bring to my party that I'm, my parents are paying for, for you to eat and have a good time, whatever you bring, we're going to send to India. And then, and then and she says, we're going to send it to India, people she's never met, people she's never seen. But she was looking for a cause, and she found out in India that kids are dying almost every day by the hundreds, simply because they don't have good drinking water. They're bathing in the same water that, that, that cars drive through, that there's feces in. And then they're also cooking and drinking with that same water. Uh, they're so thirsty. When you get, how many of you know, when you're thirsty, you drink whatever liquid you can. So they're drinking this parasitic water and dying. And this little girl saw that. And she says, I'm going to send my money there because if we raise $1,500, that will put a well in this one village and they will have fresh water. Let me tell you how generosity works, right? So she did that. She raised enough to get two wells put into that place. Oh, y'all can clap on that, but it gets better. Over Over the course of the remainder of the year, she began to get birthday invitations doing the exact same thing that she started. Every birthday invitation she got said the same thing. Bring money so that I can give it away to a different cause. That's a generation of generous and compassionate and righteous people and we need to do the same thing now now my watch this I got to give credit where credit is due I confidently believe that this young lady wouldn't have done such a thing if the foundation hadn't already been laid about being generous if mama and daddy had not had conversations about giving, if if this young, beautiful little baby girl did not see her mama and daddy give generously, serve compassionately, and live righteously, I highly doubt that she would have responded in the same manner. The foundation was already laid. Over the next couple of weeks, I want y'all to keep your eye on this table up here. The, there's uh, two young girls that reached out to me Members of this church, the, the Gross family here, Kai and Sinai, and he says, Pastor B, we want to make some cupcakes. Do you mind if we put them out here to sell them? I don't know what the end result is going to be, but the fact that their entrepreneurial thinking is working is exciting to me. I sent an email back immediately saying, Approved, because I want to raise up a generation of young people that are entrepreneurs that want to create their own way. That's kind of like what we're going to talk about today that want to create their own path that want to say, you know what? I'm not going to depend on a job when I can create a career or start my own business. I'm going to be the next innovator. Oh, my goodness. Y'all better start talking to your kids. Listen, your kids can make T-shirts out of bubble gum. I'll let them sell it out there as long as they're thinking outside the box. I don't care. I love the next generation. At the end of the day, when I go see my master and my maker and he says, son, uh, 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 let, let me, let's go through the list. I want him to look through the list and say, yeah, you, you help raise up a generation of generous, compassionate, and righteous children. You are welcome here, my son. That's what I want. And I want y'all to have that same thing. Here, here, here's the thing. Here's what we, our children must learn and know about money. There are three important principles. There's more than that, but I want y'all to hold on to these three important principles. Watch this. The first thing they need to know is that it all belongs to God. It all belongs to God. Psalms 24:1 says this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Wait, everything? No. Yeah, everything. Your money, too. Your house. No, 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 but my name is on the mortgage, but you prayed that you would get the mortgage. I'm preaching already this morning. The world and all its people belong to him. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The truth, this truth begs to question not how much of my money should I give, but how much of God's money should I keep? And every time it comes to, to, to offering time, if, if you feel that way and you start counting like, well, I got this much in my pocket and, and, and this, you, you, you automatically looking at it as your money and it's not your money. It's God's. I guarantee for every nickel you spent this week, you prayed about it. At some point in your life, somebody prayed for you about it. And God is saying, listen, just, just honor me with 10. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute. Here, here's the second principle. That we need to teach our children. Number one is it all belongs to God. The second thing is hard work is essential. Hard work is essential. Watch this one. Watch what Proverbs says. This is lazy people want much but get little. But those who what? Work hard will prosper. And what did I talk about last week? We're in a generation of kids that are entitled. We're in a generation of children that feel entitled. Uh, just because I'm here, I should get it. Just because my son—just uh, a perfect example—I uh, didn't ask permission, but I'm gonna have to tell it. My wife's gonna have to yell at me later. She says you gotta stop telling, you know, the kids' business and our business like that. You make them uncomfortable. They'll be all right. They got tough skin. Listen, my son literally says to me, "We get in the car in the morning. We go to the school. Now you can buy Gatorade. You know, you give a dollar twenty-five. It's kind of help to fundraise for the PTA." So you buy a Gatorade for $1.25. We get in the car. We're we're like leaving the subdivision. We're like right at the stop sign getting ready to make a turn out of the subdivision. My son says, Daddy, uh, can I buy a Gatorade today? I says, yeah, son, go ahead. You know, why would I say no? He said, you got money? I was like, I got money, yes. Do you have money? (laughs) He says, well, I left it at home. I was like, well, you can't get no Gatorade. And then he says, uh, well, can you uh, bring it to the school? I said, son, I'm not stopping my day to go to school to give you a dollar twenty-five for Gatorade. And then I had to question myself: well, Am I raising one of these entitled children to where have we ever done that? To where he thinks that I would do that? And then I thought, I says, no, he has forgotten his lunch, and we've took him, taken his lunch to him. But never would I go and say, all right, I'm gonna interrupt my day and give you a $1.25 for Gatorade. Really? And I realize it's not his fault. I've never done it. But I'm betting you, dollars to donuts, he's seen somebody else's parent do that for them. And he thinks, well, my dad is cool. My mom's cool. Maybe they'll do that for me. And absolutely not. And we are raising a generation of children that think that just because I'm your child, I should have it. Just because I sign up for the sport, you get a trophy. They don't even have to work hard. You're not going to get cut from the team anymore. And, and, and it's so wrong because here's what we're setting them up for. When they get out into the real world, they apply for a job, and there are a whole bunch of other really, really, really experienced and qualified applicants, and then their child is saying, say, they say, no, now they're mad, hurt with a gun. <clears throat> I'm going to kill everybody. And I know that's drastic, but if we read the stories, that's how that happens. The last case, this guy kills everybody. Why? Because he couldn't have a girlfriend. Somebody told him, you're supposed to have a girlfriend. Somebody told him, you're cute. What you mean you don't have no girlfriend? He wrote that in his manifesto that because he didn't have a girlfriend, I'm going to kill everybody. And I'm going to start with the people that love Jesus. That's what he said. Why? Because he comes from a generation that is entitled. And we need to teach them, like, you want it? You got to bust your butt for it. You want that Xbox? Tell you what, I meet you partway. I ain't going to meet you halfway. You got to meet me beyond half, and you can get it. Work your butt off. Get a paper route. Uh, shovel some. I am about to say shovel some snow. I'm going back to my days. That's how I made my living. <laughs> Rake leaves. Thank you, sir. I see a whole butt cut some grass. Come on, sir. Look, look, the young people speaking up, earn what you want. We have to teach them that hard work is essential. teach them that hard work is essential. It breaks my heart when I come home and my kids, you know, they want to play with me. And I've been out all day and like, daddy, it breaks my heart when they say, daddy, you want to, you want to play or, or can you do this with me? And I say, I can't because I got to work or, or, or they say, daddy, daddy, um, are you, are you, are you still working? In other words, they see daddy working. They know that daddy works. There's a good work ethic there. Daddy works hard to provide the little bit that we have. So I'm teaching them the essential of hard work. And we need to do that Even either by our example or whatever. I'm going to get to that. I'm going to get to that. Here's the third thing. So one, it all belongs to God. Two, hard work is essential. Three, contentment is great gain. We've missed that here in America. Contentment is great gain. First Timothy 6, 6 says this, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. True godliness with contentment, it all by itself is wealth. Let me fix that. Great wealth. Great wealth. And, and, And here we are. Raising a generation that feels like because it's new, because it's fresh, because it's the trendiest thing, we need to get it. It's amazing that there was a time where in L.A. at the Dream Center, there would be lines so long for people hungry for food, standing in line almost all night and day just to get a bowl of soup and a piece of bread in what they called soup kitchens but now there's a weird, tri- a weird kind of dichotomy here that happens every time there's an announcement at Apple about a new iPhone. We see similar lines, but people are, that are privileged uh, standing in line uh, putting tents out, hold on, let me fix it, sending robots to stand in line for them now so that they can get a gadget when you got long lines of people that want to get a meal. There's something strange going on here. But we're not content with what we have. And we're training this generation to say, you know what, because it's new, because it's fresh, because it's the latest thing, you ought to have it. And I say, no. Does your phone work? Can you call home? Can the people find you that need to find you? Then you good. I know know you don't have the McMansion that you dream about. I know the McMansion that you put on your goals is not there. But do you have a house? when you walk in, can you flip the switch and the lights come on? Uh, I I know you don't have filet mignon in the refrigerator with with, with some uh, lobster tail. But when you open your cupboard, is it bare? Uh Uh-uh. No, you got some fruity pebbles? That's a meal. And we need to teach our kids to be content with what we have. Be satisfied with it because, listen, God gives us enough. There's a story about the Israelites in the desert, right? Am I right about it? They were in the desert. Nothing grows in the desert. Why? Because there's no water. No animals are going to be out there because there's no water. So these people were out in the desert, and from heaven, God poured down manna, gave them what they needed for each day. Was it what they were accustomed to in terms of the meals? No, but it was what they needed. And that's what we have to teach our kids. It's God provides what we need. May not be exactly what we want, but we have all of our needs met. Those are the three principles. Teach them that. Let's start there. But here's the thing. It's hard to teach them if we're not living that life. It's hard to teach them if we're not living that that life. So here's what I want you all to do. Today, I want you all to be the example. Even if you don't have children, you can be the example to your niece, your nephew, your godson, your goddaughter, to your neighbor's kids, to to, to somebody's kids. You can be the example. And here's how. The first thing you must do is say to yourself, God gets my best first. God gets my best first. Now, people ask this question all the time. And I love it because it tells me that they, their heart is in the right place. They say, Pastor, uh, uh, when we tithe, do I tithe off of, you know, like after the taxes or, you know, before taxes? Because Uncle Sam already took his. It's true. We can't, we can't control how the government do their business. Unless you're your business owner, then you can control that. I'll talk to you all about that another day. But if you work for somebody, it's automatic that Uncle Sam is going to snatch his. So God says, I know he took his, he tried to play me, but give me the first. I need the gross, 10% of your gross. And when I say that, people are like, oh, I've been doing net. And I say, it doesn't matter. Your heart is in the right place. See, God is not so, so tied up in, in, in the top. See, the 10% is not as important as where the heart is. God is more interested in your commitment in honoring him consistently. And if you've been given 10% on net, God is like, cool, it's been consistent. You've been, you've been honoring me. Praise, praise me. <laughs> He's not concerned so much about, about the net or 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 the gross. Now I'm a te- now Now here's the lesson though. So y'all can't say, I never not told y'all about what God expects. He he expects the gross. He expects the gross. He says in the Bible, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, but he wants what's, but God wants what is his. Yeah, we're going to give Caesar his taxes, but Caesar may have to wait. Watch this. Malachi 3.10 says it plain and simple. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will never be enough food in my temple. And if you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open up the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to test. That's the only time in the entire Bible. I checked the, 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 the beginning to the end. I even looked in the section where the maps are, and nowhere in there does God say, test me. Only when it comes to this matter where he's asking you to give 10%. That's the only time. And, and here's the thing. So many people get it twisted because we automatically assume that that, that the return on my giving to God, the return on my investment is also going to be financial. But watch this. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open up the windows of heaven for you and I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have room enough to take it in. (laughs) He's talking about A number of things. It could be financial. Uh, It it, it could be an increase. But perhaps it could be saving your entire lineage from utter destruction. It it, it could be him blessing your your family for generations to generation to generation. It could be, watch this, somebody in your bloodline being someone of major significance. Think about it. Think about it. Do you think... (laughs) Just imagine this two or three generations ago, somebody prayed over President Barack Obama. Somebody was probably faithful in their giving unto God and generations later, there's the blessing. Somebody from that line in their family is the first African-American president in the United States of America. Is that not a blessing so big that you won't have enough room to receive it? Do you think anybody literally saw this man with a, 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 an African name, <laughs> with an African, a real African father, not an African American father, an African father coming from a biracial family being the first president of the United States? A country that is still divided to this day across racial lines? Are you kidding me? I doubt anybody in his family saw that. But I guarantee somebody in that lineage prayed. Somebody in that lineage lineage gave, tithe were consistent to God. And God poured out a blessing that they didn't have room enough to receive. Sometimes that blessing when he says it's not room enough to receive. Meaning that your thinking ain't great enough to understand the complexities of the blessing that he has in store for you. It's not always money. In this country, we think money. But in, in impoverished nations, they think he's going to save my family. In impoverished nations, it means that God is going to open up the floodgates and I'm going to have clear and clean water. In other countries are saying God is going to send somebody over here, a fifth grader that's going to invest and build a well in my village where people are dying by the hundreds every day. That's a blessing that that child had. Woo! But because we're in America, we think that the blessing is always money. Oh, my goodness. This is good this morning. Open up the windows and pour out a blessing that you won't have room enough to receive it. My brothers and sisters, the return blessing is not always material. God is saying, listen, I I, I don't mind. Listen, if you can do the 10%, that would mean the world to me. But listen, what I want to know is, will you just love me first? Will you get? Will you think of me first when you get that direct deposit? Will you think of me first, or will you think of the mortgage company when you get that direct deposit? Will you think of me first, or will you think of the bills when you get that mortgage? When you, I mean, when you get that 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 direct deposit, will you think of me first, or will you think of that fun thing you want to do? And God said, I'll, "I'll make room for the fun stuff." I, I, listen, you prayed about the house. I gave you the house. Do you think I'm gonna let you lose the house? Honor me first. I promise you, I'm going to keep my promise. I'm a promise keeper. But we think about life when we get that direct deposit first. And God says, think about me first. Just give me the 10. Think about me first. And if you can't give me the 10, just still think about me first. Before you spend a nickel, think about me first. (laughs) Me and my wife used to be so crazy about giving tithe. We used to be like ridiculous. (laughs) We'd be like uh. We would get like direct deposit. Here's a great example. I remember my first commission check. Well, let me fix this. My first big commission check when I was in real estate, I had sold a, a house in a new subdivision. And in this particular subdivision, they were giving out uh, realtor bonuses for if you brought people in. And so the, and the commission was pretty thick. So I just tell you the number. It was, it was how much it was like 17,000 and some change. And that check was burned in our pocket. And, and we, we, we were excited. And as soon as it, it cleared, I mean, as soon as we put it in the bank, we can't wait for it to clear. And we, we can't wait to tithe on it. And, and, and once it cleared, the very first thing we do, we couldn't wait. Cause we, at the time we weren't doing, um, online giving at the church we were at. So we had to wait till Sunday. Now the check cleared probably Tuesday. Because we cashed it like uh, that Thursday, and you know it takes some time in the bank. So Tuesday, it was clear we wouldn't touch that money. We couldn't wait till Sunday to walk. Man, pass the plate. I'm ready to give my offering. Woo! That was like the biggest offering at the time I'd ever given. Right, Erica? We were excited, but we was like, before we spend, listen, we hungry. Let me say, we hungry. You know, you know, hungry is when when the U becomes a O. We hungry. We want to spend this money, but not before I give to God. We were that radical with it. And do you know, we don't need nothing to this day. We were able to step out in faith and leave incomes that were nice and cushy and reliable to say, we're going to step out on faith and and honor you God with our lives and plant a church. And now, and now, and now, this poverty that we're in right now reminds me of where I grew up in New York. <laughs> but it's like I'm serving God, and he takes care of all of my needs. And even every now and again gives us what we want. Every year we take a, fam- a family vacation. every We plan it without even, listen, this is, how, this, this is how much I trust God. We plan a family vacation every year not knowing how we're going to pay for it. We set the date and everything. And before we take it, it's paid for. I'm telling you the truth here. <laughs> Am I right about it, honey? My wife is right there. Every year we're gonna we going go here. We're gonna go we gonna go to Destin. We had no clue how we were gonna pay for Destin, but it just seemed, you know we're gonna go to Destin. we gonna go. We should plan something crazy this year. See what God does, honey. Yeah. How much money have we saved for Puerto Rico? None. Watch and see us be on. Yeah, y'all gonna see me on Instagram. Y'all gonna see me on the plane periscope. But hey, y'all. We are in the airplane. Uh, Getting ready to head to Puerto Rico. Remember I told y'all this was going to happen? Yeah, it happened. Look, there's Brooke. Look at Brooke. Say hello, Brooke. Watch. (laughs) And we've saved nothing for it. But I trust my God. Because I know that I've been diligent and I've been disciplined and I've honored him not just with my finances but with the first of everything. The first of everything. So listen, we've got to do that with the first of my time, with the first of my finances, with the first of my talents and my gifts. Here's what I want to tell y'all. And I was having this conversation with other people, with somebody the other day. Our challenge is the reason why we don't honor God first is because it's not a trust issue. It's a love issue. We love the comfort of knowing that we can take care of our own stuff. And when we know that because God provided this income, I'm able to, Still there? It's gone. Thank you. Uh, God, that because of this income, I can take care of my stuff. We do that before we do, we do that without God. And what happens is we develop what we call a love for money. And let me explain that. It's not so much we love the idea of having money but we love what money does for us. And that's why we love money. I love the fact that because I have money, I can take care of my bills. I can take care of my needs. But God didn't say that your money is going to take care of your needs. God said, I'm going to take care of all of your needs. God said he was going to, and we've developed this thing about love for money, not money itself, but what money provides for us. And here's what I want to tell you. Never ever fall in love with something that can't love you back. Don't let that, please don't let that go like this. Y'all, y'all missed a good point. Please don't don't fall in love with something that can't love you back. Money can't love you back. Your career can't love you back. It may promote you, but your career, your premier, your career don't love you. Uh, they can demote you today. Uh, they can have a downsize today. Never fall in love with something that can't love you back. That includes people sometimes. Lord, have mercy this morning. I'm stepping on feet, God. I'm going to need you. Here's the second point I want to get. I'm not going to go too much deeper on that. That's a good nugget. That's a tweetable moment, by the way. Who's on it today? Who's on it? Second thing. First thing is, be an example is God gets my best first. Here's the second point. I'll give my best to earn my best. Some of us work these jobs, and we all holier than thou. And we go to our jobs, and we want to have our friends follow us, be a part of what we're doing. We, you know, we want our people who don't go to church. You should come to church with me, and da 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 da. da. But then that same person that you work with see you in the parking lot cussing and acting all crazy because somebody cut you off. Oh, I ain't talking to y'all. That person that you asking to come to your church. See how poor your work performance is when you own a job. The reason people ain't coming to church is not because they don't love Jesus, is because they don't love the church. And when I say that, I'm not talking about the building. When I say they don't love the church, I'm not talking about the structure, I'm talking about the people. And a lot of times, you spend most of your day at work, and they're looking at how you work. And how you work don't line up with your God. So how in the world am I going to love this God that you love and you don't even have a good work ethic or a good work performance? And all you want to talk about is, I don't want to follow you nowhere. Why? Because you're not giving your best where you're earning your best. You're doing stuff halfway. Watch this. I'm going to tell you what what 2 Thessalonians says 3 10 through 13. And I'm going to read the message version because it's kind of plain. It says, Don't you remember the rule we had when we lived with you? If you don't work, you don't eat. And now we're getting reports that a bunch of lazy, good for nothings are taking advantage of you. This must not be tolerated. We command them to get to work immediately. No excuses, no arguments, and earn their own keep. Friends, don't slack off in doing your duty. Friends, don't slack off in doing your duty. People are watching you, especially if you call yourself a Christian. The church today, my brothers and sisters, is going through a persecution. And if you understand church history, persecutions uh, were around for a long time. But out out of persecutions, revival was born. We are in an opportunity and in a season where the church is being persecuted, but a real revival can occur simply by how you live your life. In other words, even when you're on the job, You need to... It's not about... The I love Jesus t-shirt. It's not about the what would Jesus do bracelet and all the fish on the back of your car. It's literally how you live your life. It's not about walking around quoting scriptures and singing gospel all day. It's literally about how you conduct your life. Here's what I'm saying. It's very simple. Your peers are watching your work ethic. Do you show up on time to work? You ain't going to get nobody's attention if you can't do the little things well. Uh, They're watching how you spend time with your family. They're watching what you do in your spare times because you said you're a Christian. They're not concerned about how much you, scripture you know. They're concerned about how much you actually do that represents the, crisp, uh, the scripture that you're sharing with others. They're watching your every move when you are at the gym. They're watching you. They can hear what you're listening to even at the gym. Oh my goodness! And y'all thought it was all about just quoting scripture and saying I'm a Christian. It's not enough. Wear wear, wear the beautiful mosaic t-shirts. That's dope. That's cool. I love it. But if you're wearing a t-shirt and it don't match your life, then take it off. They're watching your every step, every little step you take. It's not about scripture. It's not about how well you sing. It's not about how often you attend Sunday morning service. It's all about your lifestyle. Is it righteous? Does it line up with all of this stuff you're telling me about? And so far, my friend, I don't see it. And this is why people aren't busting through the doors of the church because what we do outside of here doesn't look anything like what they've been hearing about from you. I'm not talking about you specifically. I'm talking about other people that call themselves Christians. So don't be offended yet. Here's the third thing. Be joyous, joyous with what God has given. Be joyous With what God has given. I I say this often. If you've been here long enough, you've heard me say it. Wherever you are today in your life, wherever you are in your career, in your marriage, wherever you are today in your life, at some point you prayed to be exactly where you are today. And how dare you have the audacity to complain. You asked God for it. He gave it. He didn't say it would be void of challenges. He didn't say it would be void of issues. He didn't say the life you prayed about would be void of obstacles to overcome. As a matter of fact, he promised that there would be some. Because if there aren't, then when would you have a chance to rely only on his strength? Without challenges, without obstacles, there could be no victory. You can't walk around talking about, I'm victorious, and you ain't never went through nothing. What did you overcome? What victory did you win? You ain't fight nothing. You didn't go through nothing. You didn't have any battles. Don't you dare walk around talking about, I'm victorious. What did you go through? Well, this morning, (laughs) the TV wouldn't come on right. So you conquer television. Yay. we're tripping over trivial stuff and that's not victorious victory is actually facing death looking death in the face and saying come on with your bad self I got something for you make a move, bust a move bust a move death and then kicking death's butt victory is looking the devil dead in his face saying is that all you got punk victory is falling down and getting back up and saying that's all you got that's the best you can do chump Victory is looking at your corner man, God, is saying, God, what's next? What's next? What else do I got to do to defeat this fool? Victory is looking the devil in his face saying, what you meant for my destruction, God is using for my construction. He is building me up to withstand all that you throw my way. Fool, I pity you. That's victorious. Waking up ain't enough. And we walk around talking about we got the victory you ain't went through nothing, you ain't got nothing. I'm kind of mean today. I'm sorry. It's a different kind of preaching. But I feel something in me. I pity the fool. <laughs> We need to be joyous with what God has given. Watch Philippians. Watch Philippians. I love Paul so much when he taught, he's such a compassionate writer, a compassionate orator and preacher. He's so passionate. And, and watch what he says here. Now, and, I, and I love him because he can say things like this because he's been through something. This is a man who came from a, a strong pedigree. This is a man who had real life uh, money. This, this is a man who was somebody. He had influence. And And then gave it up to face persecution, to follow Jesus. Literally faced death numerous times. He had, listen, he walked around saying he was victorious because he really was. And this is what he says to the church in Philippi. In chapter chapter 4, verses 10 through 13, he says this, watch this. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me. I know you have always been concerned for me. But you didn't have the chance to help me. Not, not, now, that I uh, Not that I was ever in need. Watch this. He's saying this while he's in jail, by the way, in case I didn't mention that. Not that I was ever in need. What you mean? You need to get out of jail free card, don't you? Not that I was ever in need. For I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I'm sitting in prison. I can't write such a letter. I need some companionship. I need some friends. I need you to bless my commissary. I need something. Put some money on my book. I'm dead serious here. And this man is saying in a prison. Now listen, this ain't the prison we talking about modern day. They didn't have luxuries like that. They didn't, they didn't get three, three square meals in a cot. No, 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 no. And television. No, 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 no. They didn't have nothing to sit on except for the floor in a dungeon. And Paul has the audacity to write this church saying, I know y'all been concerned about me, but I'm good. What? I'm like, yo, y'all devise a plan. Get your brother out of here. I don't know how much longer I can take this. I made friends with a little cricket that comes in here every now and again. I named him Bobo. We tight. I need y'all to get a brother out of here. Don't know what's next. Heard they killing folk that believe what I believe. Work on something. Call my lawyer. (laughs) We need to get up out of here. No, not Paul. Paul says, I've learned to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Boy, I wish I could preach like Paul. I wish I could preach like Paul. Here's what I want to tell you about contentment. Content. Listen, content people don't always have the best of everything, but they make the best of everything they have. I'll say it again. Content people don't always have the best of everything, but they make the best of everything that they have. I love I love my wife uh, when we had to downsize from this big house we had in Lithonia and we moved to a townhouse. She says, baby, I'm going to turn this house into a home. It don't matter what it looked like. I'll turn it into a home. She, she took what we had to make it our very best my grandmother used to feed the entire projects that i grew up in with this with this one meal one of my favorite meals it was called poor man's soup and basically all it was was spaghetti uh without uh meat and she called it poor man's soup and it was just a couple cans of tomato uh not tomato paste what's the other one tomato tomato sauce she poured that in there with the you know with the whole tomatoes Cut, chop up a couple of onions, boil uh, uh, some noodles, and then make a big old black pan of cornbread. Y'all know the black, the cornbread ain't cornbread unless it's made in a black pan. Okay, if you're using anything other than a black pan, you might be making something different. Okay, it's got to be made in the black pan. Come on, y'all, some of y'all know what I'm talking about this morning. Amen. And, and, and the, the, the black skillet. Come on, sis, come on, sis, fix it for me. Skillet, it ain't even a pan, it's a skillet. And my grandmother would take that. And I often wonder, why wasn't, you know, we grew up in a project. Why, you know, people weren't hungry. No, no, you never walked outside in a project and saw somebody sleeping outside unless they just were like drunk from the night before. That was the only time you saw that. But they had a home they could go to once they recovered. Why? Because grandma and them took what they had. They took the best of what they had, whether it was just some potatoes and some bread and they would hook it up. They took the best of what they had and made it their very best. And we need to do that. That's what contentment is. It's saying, God, it, I may not have uh, the steak, but man, I got some man noodles and, and I'm going to put some like steak seasoning on it. I may not have cornbread, but I know how to toast some bread. I'm going to put a little bit of garlic stuff on there to make it taste like garlic. toast. Whoa, Lord, I'm about to preach. Y'all getting hungry up in here? I, I, come on now. I'm about to hook y'all up. I may not have Kool-Aid, but I got water and sugar, so I'm going to have what? Whoa, I got some people in here know what I'm talking about. I'm in the right place. I got the right company. We may not have pizza, but I got some bread, some pizza sauce, and I'm going to get some of that government cheese, and I'm going to make what? Pizza. Oh, come on, y'all. Y'all, Government cheese used to make the best macaroni and cheese there ever was. Don't act like y'all ain't never had it. Just a couple of us had it. Watch this. Humility creates gratitude, and gratitude creates contentment. You got to be happy with what God has given you before you can understand contentment it's like you're happy when you get the transition you're happy when you get the blessing oh it's everything you you imagined it would be but year two year three the faucet starts leaking this doggone house Uh, year two or year three your car starts acting up. The transmission starts tripping a little bit. It's so hoopty. Oh, but when you first got it, you rolling down. You rolling through neighborhoods you don't normally go through where your haters live. You're like, hey. Car shined up. Got the tire shine on there. What's going on? Huh? No, this, this ain't a rental. No, I just bought this. Brand new. This the 2018. It ain't even out yet. But two years into it, the tranny going, it's old so hoopty. Oh, this, this, the, this, this woman go, God bless me. Bless me with her. Hook me up. Oh, man, she's so perfect. God, I know. God, I know you telling me, me and her. That's wifey. That's my rib right there. Hook it up. Six months into it, like, yo, man, who is this? She sent her representative. This ain't the woman I was asking you about. There was like a switch somewhere in there, God. But that's the truth it's the truth we pray for God we pray to God for stuff and he gives it and all it takes is one small glitch and we've lost our contentment and we become discontent all it takes is one small error and we forget the principle of forgiveness All it takes is one bad decision. And we hold it over somebody's head for a lifetime. All it takes is one wrong move. And we lose our discontentment. And that thing that we prayed hard for, cried about, begged God for, called every prayer warrior we know to touch and agree with. And God gives it. It's no longer good enough. What are we teaching our kids? And when it's old, don't run like it used to. Don't shine like it used to. When it's just a little tarnished, get something else. And that's not God. And it's certainly not biblical. Worship team, y'all can come. I'm done. We need to learn to be content with what we have. And a lot of times, we often wonder, God, why aren't you blessing me? And God says, you haven't done well with the little I've given you. I'm not going to give you the increase so you can blow that and complain about it too. God says, take care of the little I give you. Steward that well. Do good with that. And then we'll see if I can open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you certainly won't have room for to receive it. So here's the thing what we need to do. In order to be the example, we've got to give God our best first. We've got to give our best to earn our best. And we must be joyous with what God has given. We must be joyous with what God has given if you you want to know more about it, I want you you on your time to go to the book of 2 Corinthians 8. I want you to read verse 1 through 5. I'm going to tell you real quick and then I'm done right here. In there, you'll find this story about this church in Macedonia. Now this church, Paul is telling the people at the church in Corinth, he's saying, hey, listen, y'all should do like the church in Macedonia. They begged to be a part of this big giving that we're doing. They begged to give toward building up the kingdom of God. They begged to be a part of this this, this season of generosity. Now, here's the thing that you got to get from this story. The church in Macedonia was, number one, facing real hard trials at that time. Trials that were breaking people down beyond belief, number one. Here's a second thing you must know about the church in Macedonia. They were poor. They were dirt poor. They were very poor. But beg Paul, says, Paul, listen, don't you dare overlook us in this season. I hear that you're getting ready to do this thing, this generosity thing. And, and I know uh, from the, vis- the physical eye it doesn't look like we can participate, but please don't excuse us from this. I know things are hard for us. I know that we don't have all the money that the church in Corinth has or the, the Roman church has or, or, or any of those other places. But we want to participate in this. Let me tell you why. Here's their secret. Their secret was not about what belonged to them, but they knew who they belonged to. And because they belong to a God who is Jehovah Jireh, our provider, Because they belong to a God who is Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. They knew that by giving, even if it felt uncomfortable, he would provide all of their needs plus some and give them a peace in knowing that they could trust him whatever they gave. Because Paul was building up the kingdom of God. And this, my brothers and sisters, is how we be content. We have to realize and recognize that God is our provider. And without him, there's nothing we can do. We can't even fail without God's permission